What does Anna Delvey say? She cries a lot. Or say something in a terrible Russian accent. Welcome to Sigasier. I am Grace. That sounded not German or Russian. I'm Bridget. I'm Courtney. <laughs> I can't do an accent. Giving holiday shout outs, man. And uh, who you want to shout out to, man? This week's shout out goes out to Rebecca Elo, another patron of ours and another good friend of mine. She is an icon. She has never met a stranger. She is in school to become a therapist, uh, like an art therapist, which is iconic theater specific. And she's also getting a cat soon in a few days, which I know she's very excited about. So she's going to become a cat mom. Someone who, by the way, always swore off cats. She was like, I'm a dog person. Oh, cats. But then one of her roommates got a cat and she and the cat were like best friends and she totally converted. So now she lives alone and is getting her own cat. So this is a shout out to both Rebecca and future kitty cat of Rebecca. I love it. Thank you, Rebecca. We truly have the best patrons. Our first segment this week, as it always is, is you have to tell me. This is the segment where me and Courtney and Bridget bring in gossip that we want to tell each other about. So Courtney, you have to tell me, Camilla Villieva, I don't know how to say her last name, cleared to skate despite testing positive for performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, so this actually got a new interesting wrinkle last night when I typed it in as something I wanted to talk about. It had only, I guess, maybe developed three fourths of the way and now it's finally reached its apex. And basically what happened was that uh, Camilla, I think it's Villieva, she is a skater for the Russian Olympic Committee. You know, Russia is not technically allowed to compete as a country because of their doping scheme from a few years. I don't know the whole details of the, the doping Wait, scheme. So they're not even technically allowed to perform. And then this. Well, they can't perform. Well, they, they can't be at the Olympics under the name of Russia. That's why they're like the Russian Olympic Committee. It's truly the dumbest workaround. This is they blowing also, my mind. It's, yeah, it's, how stupid it's, it no, sounds. It's, it's really, I was reading, Um, I think it was Sports Illustrated article last night about how it's just like a faux punishment, which like, obviously, but like, it's just, it's just a fake punishment. Because Russian for... athletes win a lot at the Winter Olympics, don't they? I mean, maybe yes. that's the performance enhancing drugs, but. Well, yeah, but also, I mean, but it's also- like, the country's cold as fuck. It's yeah. like, I don't think they have a very good summer, you know, yeah, this uh, is their representation. Time. Yes. So Camila is a 15 year old figure skater. And last week she landed, I believe the first quad in like winter Olympics history landed by a female in like a, a program on the ice. Um, since then, I think a lot of her teammates have also landed the quad, but it was like very exciting because she is like one of the best skaters in the world, this Camila girl. And um, then shortly after she like wowed everyone with her skating, it came out that a drug test that she took around Christmas this year came back showing that she had traces of a performance enhancing drug. It's like a heart medication that helps like pump blood to your heart. Um, which I think makes your endurance better. If I had to guess, if I, I don't know much about how bodies work. So it enhances the performance of your heart to keep you alive. I think, I think it like allows you to like, by pumping your heart, you don't get as tired. Yeah. You don't get as warm. Cause if you get tired, you're going to start making mistakes and crap out. 
Is it medically something she needs to like stay awake? No, 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 no. So what it is is that it it should not have been in her system. The excuse is that it's like a heart medication that her grandfather takes and it could have transferred in like an environment. This this sounds so fucked up. I know it it could have transferred to her if they had like shared a glass that like they both drank out of or shared a plate or whatever, which is like, that's not how it works because you're not sharing shit with your grandpa. Yeah, my boyfriend would be on like Lexapro if that's how how things swapped you know what I mean so it came out and there was also a delay in like the processing which is why it came out now as opposed to like that was my next question is like this test was taken in December this is the first time we got it back what kind of drug testing system are they using apparently it's like it was like a lab in I think Sweden or something that was understaffed I have no idea it honestly all sounds very suspicious and like I'm not I'm like not really donning a tinfoil cap but like it kind of seems a little convenient for this to be like the distraction while Russia is like getting ready to invade Ukraine. But I don't know if it's really connected, but also it could be. But the Russian anti-doping agency, once this came out, suspended her from the sport and then they unsuspended her. And then the International Olympic Committee, the World Doping Agency, I'm sorry, the World Anti-Doping Agency (laughs) and the International Skating Union appealed the decision. And after it was in the court of arbitration for sport, which is a funny fucking name, um, they basically said that barring her from the competition would cause her irreparable harm. I think it would be reparable. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's interesting because as this unfolds, you would argue that like, oh, actually, I think that this whole like nine day extravaganza of people just like keep like focusing so hard on her probably damaged her way more than if they had just dismissed her from the sport for hmm. this competition. They also you're an Olympic star. You're already damaged. Right. Like, they did. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Apparently the, this Russian figure skating coach, like literally breaks the skaters down and they have like mental breakdowns before they're like in their twenties, yeah. um, which I know is not like uncommon for like some sports, but I think this is like particularly known to be like very bad. So they basically this the sport are the court of arbitration for sport said that she was a protected person, meaning that because she's so young, she can't be held responsible for like what's in her system. Cause like theoretically the adults around her are what is like are who is controlling. Yeah, I think that's true. But also if you if I was 16 years old and my mom let me drink a bunch of wine and I drove and I killed someone, you can't really blame my mom. Like it's in my body. Right. Right. Well, and and then it's like, why is she even in the Olympics? If if a 15 year old can't advocate for themselves, then you should be an adult once like there should just be a hard line that you can't have children in. The Olympics. I think that this has caused like some conversation around that um, aspect specifically is like who should be competing and who around them, like their quote entourage should be like monitored for how these kids are being handled. So it goes on because she was favored to win gold because she'd already brought gold for her team in the team event, but now Mm -hmm. she was going to do the individual event. And um, it was decided that even though she will be performing, if she were to win, like if she were to medal, there would be no medal ceremony, like for anyone, which would screw over anyone else who medaled, which kind of sucks. So there was a lot of outcry from former Olympian skaters yeah, Tara Lipinski came out. I was like, what year is this? Tara Lipinski's here with an opinion. And also Adam Rapon, all of those people. Um, I think also maybe Michelle Kwan, basically just being like, this is a sham and like she shouldn't be allowed to skate. Like, give her help, like, give her the support that she needs. But this is not fair to anyone else who got here, mm-hmm. honestly. Also, when she was skating during these like 
lead up to like the actual final skate, the commentators didn't comment on it. They would just say, well, here's Camila. And then she would like do it. And they'd be like, that was Camila. They wouldn't be like, oh, triple toe loop, blah, blah, blah. You know, after all of this on Thursday night, it, it was her final skate and she ended up cracking under the pressure. She fell on two jumps and stepped out on two others and she landed herself in fourth place. And she was seen on the sidelines, just like weeping and like in such distress. And like, you can't really blame her because like every time she left any building or did anything, it was like, she was just surrounded by press. So I can't imagine what like psychologically this girl was going through. I don't think she should have been able to compete, but I also kind of feel bad for her for a 15 year old Mm -hmm. going through that. And then instead of comforting her, the coach berated her on the side after she did that and said, quote, she was screaming at her quote, why did you let go? Explain it to me. Why? Why did you stop fighting? You let it go after that axle. Why? And she's just like crying and it's really sad. And it's, that's what sparked the debate about who should be able to like, like who is protecting the kids, I guess. No one. It's kind of sad. I feel, I feel bad for her. It feels very just like. It sucks because it is like she shouldn't have been able to compete, but it's not her fault. Exactly. I don't think that she was like out seeking performance enhancing drugs. I think someone was like, oh, you need to take this so that you don't get tired. Exactly. And I I feel terrible because um, the article I was reading was talking about how like, because in Russia, especially figure skating is like so, so intense and strict. And like uh, Johnny Weir last night was talking about how everyone's wondering why these Russian girls are the only ones who can land quads. Like, why isn't anyone else landing a quad? And he said, it's because you have to be able to be at that level in order to even get out of Russia, like in the, to qualify, to go to the Olympics. Like that's how good the program is there or like how intense. And uh, the article I was reading about this was talking about like the hard part is coming now because she has to go home and like face Russia after like essentially disgracing them, which just sounds fucking horrible. I really just going to make her disappear. I know that's, that's what I'm honestly kind of afraid of. That was a very like harrowing line in the article that got me kind of like, Oh, yikes. 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 Kids shouldn't be competing period. You're really messing with somebody and their whole identity. I think by trying to make them into an Olympic athlete yeah. under the age of 20. Like, mm-hmm. and even people in their 20s, I think, suffer, but like, especially a teenager. Yeah, I think anyone in the Olympics suffers quite a bit, but to have all the pressures of the Olympics, which vary from country to country, obviously in Russia, they have different ones. Plus, being young, it's like, what's this all for? Yeah, right. For a medal. Bridget, you have to tell me. Disney is building forever homes for adults. That's right. This week, Disney launched a new business known as Story Living by Disney. So they are developing residential communities. So Disney fans, true Disney fans, will never have to leave their magical world behind. This literally gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, I like I just felt a shiver go through my spine. That is fucked up. It's like the villages, but Disney themed and for more ages. I think we've talked about Disney adults here before, and I don't have anything against Disney adults. You know, you guys, you like what you like. That's fine. But it is weird that you would want to basically live at your favorite theme park, but it's still like a gated community. And here's the goss on location. 
So real fans of story living know that it will be built in the Coachella Valley. Real fans of the Gossier know that I am from the Coachella Valley. This is a little Coachella Valley central gossip is that where it's built in the Coachella Valley specifically is Rancho Mirage. Rancho Mirage is one of the places in the Coachella Valley that is like where all the retirement like gated communities are. This isn't like in like the nightlife section of Palm Springs. This isn't in like the rich hoity-toity section of Indian Wells. This is in where your grandpa buys a summer home section on a golf course. Oh my God. Which kind of fits the vibe. Yes, because some neighborhoods will actually be 55 and over. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh God. I was going to say, because then they won't have any reason to leave, right? Like they don't need yes. a reason to leave. Because they're also going to have like curated experiences, including live performances, cooking classes, wellness programs, philanthropy, seminars, and more. This sounds like, okay, so Disney adults totally get it. It's kind of culty. And so like, this yeah. is just like elevating the level of cult. Yes. In my mind. Again, Disney adults, if it brings you joy, it brings you joy. My opinion shouldn't matter to you. But my opinion is you're weird. I think it's weird that like whenever you go to a Disney park and you go to an actual national park or the place that the Disney park is based on, it's like, oh, my God, I would rather be in the real place than in the Disney park. So like if your thing is American frontier, you could go and live in the American frontier near like Moab. And that would be a cool life experience. But I can't ride Big Thunder Mountain Railroad there. (laughs) Right. That's a great point. That's what, well, and I'm wondering if they're going to like, are there going to be a lot of investment in rides? Well, I'm guessing it's going to be like more like California adventure where it's more like stylized Californian, you know, oh, it's going to yeah. be mm-hmm. I think it's going to be like stylized Coachella Valley, even though you literally live in the Coachella Valley. Yeah, it's just like how well, California Adventure is like stylized Buena Vista Street. Right. From everything I've read, I do get the feeling that they're going to have different themes. And that's very similar to the villages. Like, did you guys see that documentary that came out? It's like on Hulu. Darren Aronofsky was like a producer of it of black swan yes created this documentary about these old people living in the villages and like they have their different little cliques and the scariest part though say about the villages which if you don't know what the villages are it's like a retirement center for old people in florida is that people get sucked in this is where they scam you is like they get you charge you x amount of money per year basically a lot like a cult get you to raise your credit limits and fuck your whole credit life up so that they get paid because it's like once they have the facility the cost to them is very low the idea is that it's so convenient that you never want to leave but they make it like hard for you to ever get out of it Mm. dude mike's mike's mom i wouldn't say she's a disney adult but she has like a disney condo timeshare so we're at one last summer and we were ordering drinks as you do and we're talking to the disney kids and they were just like having a little goss sesh with them while they're Mm -hmm. making our drinks and we said something like oh can we tip you and one of the kids says and it's so creepy because he's smiling while he says this he goes oh no need to tip us they pay us here in smiles 
No. They they really like fuck them up. And we could tell if that was like a joke or not. <laughs> I have a question. To get to be able to live in the forever home for adults, story living. Do you have to like apply? Like I was gonna ask, how do you prove that you're enough of a Disney fan? Oh, I don't even think you have to prove that. You just have to prove you can afford it. And then there's probably like a how like a HOA equivalent where or a co-op equivalent where they might do some interviews with you just out of formalities. Can you imagine yeah. if oh. it just got bought out by people who didn't give a fuck about Disney? I that would it be does. really funny. Like a bunch of rich people funny. who are using that. Who are like for- an Airbnb it. That's actually very interesting. That's they, that- the scam. That's already happening in a lot of resorts. Yeah. Wait, so you know how there are like people who have died at Disney, like at Disney parks, but they like yeah. just cover it up. What's going to happen when people start dying here? Because it's like if it's 55 and older, it's like people are inevitably going to same inevitably thing. They're covering die. it up. They're yeah. Cover it up. It's the best place on earth to die. Well, because they're going to have a wait list for yeah. these homes. Oh, if someone dies, God, guess you're what? Right. There's going to be someone moving in that house the next day. Oh, that gave me shivers. I hate that. This is capitalism, baby. It sure is fun, ain't it? It's a wild ride. Pun intended. Grace, you have to tell me. Slave play in L.A. reignites controversy. Okay, so I don't know how familiar either of you are with slave play. It is a play by Jeremy O'Harris. It is the most nominated play in Tony history, but it won zero Tonys, which is hysterical. (laughs) Jeremy O'Harris is known now at this point, like slave play kind of brought him into the national conversation and and he's a producer on Euphoria. He's kind of known for not taking criticism well, which you have probably seen if you have ever criticized Euphoria. It's a famous thing right now for people to criticize Sam Levinson and Jeremy O'Harris cannot stop from commenting. They're not even criticizing him. They're just, they're criticizing the creator and he is- He's friends with the creator. And he's just responding, Jesus. Yeah, so Jeremy O'Harris is known for taking criticism very poorly. So what Slave Play is about, this is a little bit of a spoiler. I have read Slave Play. I have not seen it. It's meant to be an exploration really of an interracial relationships. It takes place on a plantation. In the beginning, it seems like it's set in like the Civil War times and there's like an overseer kind of sexually assaulting a slave. So it's uncomfortable in the first like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then it twists to be like, actually, this is like sex therapy for interracial couples to kind of basically role play as masters and slaves in order to like work through issues as interracial couples. And I've heard from people, this is a real life thing. Yes. So and it's an interesting play because it is kind of like a fascinating setup, but What happens is that basically the main character, her name is Kanisha, I believe. She's dating a white man. They're kind of the center of it. There's other couples too, but it's all a lot of like rape fantasies among all the couples. And generally the people who are mostly negatively affected in the play are the black women. Specifically, Kanisha has a bunch of lines about how there's one, I know they posted it. It's like a full monologue about how like, our ancestors don't care that we lay with demons, blah, 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 because they did too. It puts Black women in a particularly exploitative role, whereas no one else does. And because Jeremy O'Harris is a Black man, he just intrinsically doesn't have that understanding. Mm. So that's what it's been primarily criticized for. 
by by black women yes specifically okay. yes it's been criticized in the when it was in on broadway but it now is playing at the Merck tape reform in la and it's being re-criticized because of that what's interesting about the production at the Merck tape reform for theater nerds is that it is the first time it's been performed in a thrust stage and mm. as it was on broadway the back set of it is mirrors so a lot of the play is like watching yourself watch it, seeing if people walk out, you know, seeing other people watch it. So that's kind of the exploration of it. And because it's playing at the Mark Taper Forum and it's in LA, as you might imagine, many audiences are primarily white. Mm -hmm. But they did have a blackout performance where only black people were allowed, which basically everyone was making fun of it, which is hysterical. So Ashley Ray, who is a comedian, Twitter Love personality. Her. Yeah, I saw her ripping on it. She got invited to like the opening night and the blackout performance. She went to both and she kind of took to Twitter to talk about her experience with slave play. She was posting kind of criticism of the play. And then she says, OK, I feel motivated to post the full monologue. So here this monologue is basically like about how she felt in an interracial relationship. And it says, I loved the way people would look at us at the movies, out shopping. There was always an intake of breath and a triple take. I became Helen of Troy. It's basically like really romanticizing a black woman's experience in an interracial relationship. Interesting. Ashley Ray posed that and was like, my elders, my ancestors did not lay with demons. They were forced by demons, raped by demons, hurt by demons. Some of them were children, little girls who had everything taken from them by demons in a way that I can never experience having consensual sex with a white person. Also, there's mm-hmm. a part in act three or act, uh, act one, act two, who knows? At the beginning, the whole point is that she basically wants her boyfriend to be like more rough in the bedroom. And there's mm-hmm. a, and they have a safe word. And there's a point in act two when they're like in their slave play. It's supposed to be ambiguous whether or not she's into it or he rapes her. In the New York production, she says the safe word and he keeps going, so it's a little less ambiguous. But in this one, apparently she doesn't say the safe word. Now, Jeremy O'Hara said she says the safe word, but Ashley Ray and a couple other people who were there were like, no, she said stop. And the safe word is Starbucks, which is different enough that you think you could tell the difference. Anyway, Jeremy O'Hara posted screenshots of the DMs when he invited her. And then he posted next to it on Twitter. I've given people who don't like me free tickets to my plays since the beginning because one of my fave mentors told me it's always great to have loud detractors engage your work. But I feel like I should pay at the Ashley Ray for the sheer breadth of her free PR because Slave Play LA has 18 energy. Don't know what that means. And then he says, thank you for spreading the word about my work, even when blatantly misrepresenting staging, audience interactions, and my writing for likes. It works. The first show at the taper is headed for a sold out run and is once again riling up audience members like a 70s grindhouse pick. So basically he's like, ha ha, you just sold me tickets. And basically she was like, yeah, you should pay me for the PR actually. But the thing is, is that he's really coming after her for misrepresenting staging, audience interactions and his writing. Number one, she posted the monologue like a screenshot of the play word for word. So she's not misrepresenting his writing. And the exchange in act two where she says that the character didn't say the safe word. Jeremy O'Harris maintains that she does say the safe word in the play. There's enough people in the audience that were like, I didn't hear it. So it's not just you. So it's all a little iffy. But in general, the thing about this that's interesting is basically Jeremy O'Harris like wrote a play about interracial couples engaging in problematic sex in the context of slavery. So you kind of have to expect that there's going to be a little bit of challenging on this. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, 
he's allowed to like write this play and whatever, but he basically acts like if everyone's seeing it, it must be good. It's not open to criticism, but he's skipping over the concerns about like the way it affects black women who should be critically engaging with it. And Ashley Ray has since said like, I think people should see it, but I think we should critically engage with things we see specifically when it puts black women at the center of a kind of exploitative story. Yeah. So that's the slave play controversy. I guess I just don't understand like Jeremy O'Harris. So this is like his first huge like play, right? Yes. Which doesn't mean he hasn't worked in the past, Mm -hmm. but he's quite young, right? Yes. So my question, is he like a, does he give off the vibe that he has just like always been like praised? Because it's just like in theater, it's just like that criticism is like a huge part of any art, but like you have to learn to like engage with it or just don't read it and don't comment on it. It's just like, I don't know. He probably just enjoys engaging with it. We talked about him a little bit when that TikTok controversy yeah, happened. Yes. Yeah. And so like, and we talked about how he did not make it into Juilliard. So I think he is a person who's like, I've fought for everything that I have. Mm-hmm. So if someone's going to criticize his work, he probably feels like it is my due diligence to talk about it. Now, the problem is, is that he's ignoring one of the main criticisms, which is black women being portrayed in this play. And and he is a black man, which and according to Bell Hooks, the black man and the white woman are in a very similar playing field. Okay, of I was just about to say ambiguity. I'm, I'm reading Bell Hooks right now. And she talks about this where black men in throughout history were much more interested in keeping like, well, they, because their masculinity to them, mm-hmm. like overrides their skin color in that, like they would gladly keep black women down if it meant that they could ascend, which is similar to white women. Sorry. I feel like I should say that she draws that comparison in her writing. Yes. Because it it was like she talks about, I think, in the I'm only halfway through this book, but I think it was like in the context of voting rights specifically, it was like black men would 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 refer to black people as would white people and white women, like white men and white women, black people referred to black men, not like black women. So, yes, you're right. It it is like, yeah, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. black men put down black women because they feel like their masculinity overrides it. White women put down black women because they feel like their whiteness overrides it. Yes. So either way, black women getting put down. Exactly. Yes. They're always in like the lowest position. So here's the other gossip about Jeremy O'Harris that Ashley Ray did talk about, which Jeremy O'Harris didn't say, because this is a little bit more petty than criticism. Ooh. He was getting a Bachelor of Fine Arts at DePaul, uh, but got cut from the program after a year and then went on to get his Master of Fine Arts and playwriting at Yale. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely this like people told me I was bad. And I don't want to engage with any criticism at all because it made me feel bad. Mm -hmm. So there's that kind of aspect of like an insecurity about being cut from an acting program, even though he's successful, that insecurity is still there. So I bet there's also this attitude or maybe it mixes in there where it's like, I got cut from DePaul, but then Yale liked me and Yale is notoriously better than DePaul, you know? And so it's like, clearly these people don't know what they're talking about. Like only a certain niche group of elite get me sort of perhaps. Yes. He definitely, I think has this like attitude of, it doesn't matter what you think because I'm successful and Yale liked me. And it's like, yes, that's a great attitude to have to not let yourself get beat down by criticisms Mm -hmm. because it's a hard world. However, when the criticisms are the portrayal of black women, it's not, I didn't like your play. It's, yeah. this is how your play could be better. 
just acknowledge that black women are having this response and be like either oh i expected that or oh i didn't expect that yeah rather than feuding with a black woman instead of perpetuating what's happening right exactly mm -hmm. yeah it's actually doing the opposite <laughs> Yeah. Of, of anyone taking his side, like you're literally playing this out with a black woman on Twitter. It's kind right. of hard to see your side on the play. If you want to scroll back and read Ashley Ray's tweets, you can. They're pretty far back now, but they're all pretty funny and pretty cutting. So follow Ashley Ray on Twitter. Courtney, you have to tell me Kim K unfollows Kanye West. Yes. So on Thursday, Kim Kardashian finally unfollowed her ex-husband or soon to be ex-husband. He keeps referring to her still as his wife, but she filed for divorce. I didn't realize it was over a year ago, but it was over a year ago. She finally unfollowed him on Instagram and on social media as while well, he continued his attacks uh, that he has been doing towards her, towards like her as a mother. And then she, then he started attacking Pete Davidson and she got anxious that like his continued attacks on Pete would end up getting him hurt, would end up getting Pete hurt. Kanye or yay, his most recent attacks were about when Pete Davidson made fun of him on SNL a few years ago after, remember when Kanye, like they cut the feed because Kanye started doing some mm -hmm. monologue about Trump or being a MAGA guy or whatever. And then a few weeks later, Pete made fun of him on weekend update and uh, basically saying, uh, you know, like what he was saying was like the most awkward shit I've ever heard, like on set here. And I've seen some crazy shit. And he said, like, the thing that I guess really Kanye was responding to this week was when he said, Kanye, I know you're off your meds, but like, trust me, like I'm on meds. They're great. Like you should do it. Like, you know, instead of not treating his like bipolar. Yeah, it doesn't disorder. make you a, like the real you. It makes you an right. asshole and being it's mentally ill is not an excuse. Yes, exactly. Kanye like posted a screenshot of this clip from Update and Pete is wearing a hat that says make Kanye 2006 again. Kanye said, quote, hi skeet, which is his derogatory, the the every news outlet's like his derogatory term for Pete. Hi skeet, you got any more mental health jokes for me? And finally, Kim unfollowed him and Kanye was saying it wasn't harassment because he was just getting payback for like what Pete did to him and all well, that. He stuff. also and posted their DMs. Oh yeah. He posted Kim's DM like yeah. his DMs with right. Where Kim was like, please stop doing this. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was really what pushed her to. I'm, I mean, I don't know, obviously I'm not in their relationship, but that was my feeling was that that was the step to the far. final straw. Well, yeah. he also made a bunch of posts and then deleted them like immediately. He was posting, deleting, posting, deleting, yeah. which people, of course, screenshotted of right. like, she's a bad mother. She's taking the kids from me. She's a kidnapper, it's blah, blah, blah. Just wild. The whole thing is so messy. And I I don't understand. Like, I, I know he has like mental things and it's just like maybe he's just not like fully in control of his capacities or whatever. But it's like if he's trying to like build an argument about custody, it's like, what is happening? Well, he's not well, trying to build an argument. He's mentally ill. This is one of those things that it's like, I feel icky talking about it because there's, yes. he's a celebrity. So he's in the public eye, Yeah, but it's mm -hmm. like, he's not doing well and it's not funny. That's why I think her unfollowing is so significant. It's not like, mm. it's not like you're like, oh, Megan Fox stopped following Machine Gun Kelly let's say they broke up or something. It's like saying Kim is saying Kim doesn't check her her Instagrams like she has people do it. I mean, she might 
choose what gets posted and has a lot of say when it gets posted, but she isn't managing her social media. So for her to tell people we got to unfollow Kanye is her signaling to everyone, hey, this guy is not well we need to ignore what he's posting because it's not safe. Yeah, to be fair, I was a little hesitant to even talk about it. But I think by making the big story, the unfollowing, it still trivializes her response yes, because it's yes. like, oh, well, that's what Kim does best is unfollow someone when really he's stalking and abusing her. And that's what she really needs to do is come out and say something. No, she doesn't need to do shit. That's not her business. He needs to stop stalking and abusing her. She doesn't need to make a statement. It's like, again, it puts all of the responsibility on Kim to like manage. I don't, I don't think she Kanye should manage being. him, but I think. But to manage her image and Kanye's image, she needs. Here's the thing. She is a reality star. So sure. by whatever shit they're doing on on social media, it is an extension of the TV show. So if Kanye really is in trouble, I think she should at least just say a statement so people know wh what is real. Because at this point, mm. it's all reading as part of the Kim K drama. It's part of being a Kardashian. I see what you're saying. I do feel like the overwhelming response, at least from what, what the media I consume, is more like, oh, like Kim, like, it needs to get out of this. Like, it's not like it's it, she's orchestrating it. Like, it doesn't, yeah. this is like the first time that these like Kardashian things hasn't been like overwhelmingly discussed as like, oh, this is all Chris. You know what I mean? Like, I actually think that this is Kanye being fucking like fucked up. And um, and I I don't think I agree. Like, I don't think she needs to say anything. I think that Kanye needs help. Like I just mm -hmm. and like I can imagine her just like washing her hands of it and being like, this is an unsafe environment for me, my boyfriend and my children. And it's interesting. I was reading an article or a newsletter. I mentioned her a few weeks ago, Liz Plank. She's like one of my favorite like feminist writers at the time at the moment. And she was talking about how this is so indicative of like what so many women go through during divorce where they just like get, she called it like courtroom stalking or something where mm -hmm. like men will drag out divorces because like the only interaction they have with this woman and the only way yeah. they can abuse her or harass her is through like legal systems like this, which is not like he's doing it on social media, but like ostensibly when they continue their divorce proceedings, it's going to, she's going to have to see him and he's going to be able to just like abuse her that way. Well, that's why they're not divorced. Like you said, she filed a year ago. He is the one that keeps telling people they're going to get back together, which is mm -hmm. just so fucked up. Well, so let me just, let me try to end this with like a funny, a little levity because <laughs> it is very intense. And the thing that I was reading that shocked me the most was that Pete Davidson, who goes on and off social media, he just like recently went on Instagram again, which is why this whole thing kind of got kicked up is because Kanye immediately followed him. So Pete Davidson's back on Instagram and he only follows two people. One of them is Kim and one of them is Sebastian Stan, which I think is very funny Two very, just why, why Sebastian? Bridget, a Catholic priest resigns, but not for why you would think. Yeah, so I guess you can do whatever you want with children in the Catholic church, but you cannot confuse the pronoun we and I. Oh no, what? So a priest in Phoenix had to resign because it had circulated that during his baptisms, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a Catholic baptism. I was in one as a baby. <laughs> yeah. So there are a lot of say and responses and a lot of it is the priest is supposed to represent God and he's supposed to say, I baptize you. 
But what he has been saying, because it is kind of like a everybody communal thing, he's been saying, we baptize you. And so he had to talk to like the Catholic church about it. He decided to resign. His congregation is actually creating a petition that says like, you know, it's an honest mistake. Please let us keep him. But since this has come out, it's found that like a lot of priests have actually made this mistake and people are showing videos of different priests saying we baptize you. So that means like thousands upon thousands of baptisms. The way Catholic sacraments work is that everything has to be followed to the ritual by the T. And because of this misuse of pronouns, it's like thousands and thousands of people have invalid baptisms. I was going to ask, does this mean that the people aren't actually baptized if he used this language? Yeah. So they have to get rebaptized. I hope most of them are like, it's not worth it. Like I didn't have the choice when I was a baby. I'm not going to do it now. Yeah. That would be me. Maybe they figured if we come at people with this, then they have to get rebaptized into the church and then maybe they can regain followers. And then they just funnel them straight to the Disney adult living. Exactly. God, that's so weird. It's super weird because um, of how intense the Catholic church is. Like I taught preschool. I went to every Catholic camp. I went to Sunday school every week. I did every sacrament that I could at the age of 18. So I did not get Mm -hmm. married, but. And you haven't died yet. And I haven't died yet. And we got a couple others. But so what I have learned by being so involved in the Catholic church is that it's very intense. Like I was a Eucharistic minister and they were like, don't ever drop the communion or the wine. And it was like, oh, I'm just curious, like, what would happen if I dropped? Oh, my God. You know, and it was like there has to be like a whole process to like clean it up. You don't just like get a wet back and suck it up. There's got to be like a whole process of like making sure that the wine is somehow like protected or thrown out in a proper way so that the wine can go to heaven. So the wine can go to heaven. So it's so crazy managed that it makes sense that they would have to come at this priest for the wrong pronoun. But it's so insane that like you're mad about this, but not of all the pedophiles you've hired for centuries. That's the thing about Catholicism is words matter, but actions don't. That's what confession is for. Like, no, but like, honestly, like you kid, but it's true. Cause like, even on like, not an intent, like a lower stakes version of this too, that holds like, that's how Catholics go throughout their life being like shitty people, but then being like saying the like right things. Then I say my hail Mary's exactly. Then I go to reconciliation and I tell the priest and then I get my penance. Right. Cause the kids literally got dunked in water. What is baptism if not dunking a baby in water? Right. And saying that you believe in Jesus. Right. Yeah. That's all. That's really the two big ones. But it's the word. That's Catholicism, baby. Grace, you have to tell me the biggest news of the week. Taylor Swift is engaged probably, but who really knows? If you were on social media, you probably saw the news break that Taylor Swift and Joel Wynn are engaged after five years together. What great news. In Touch had the pleasure of breaking this news. Do you know who broke it before In Touch? Who? Life and Style. 
Exactly. Same level. Worse, even lower level. And you want to know why they broke it? Yes. If you go to the bottom of any of these articles, you will find a lovely little disclaimer. Reps for Taylor and Joe did not immediately reply to the request for comment. They're not engaged. Who's the source? Who, who, who is saying it? People are just saying this out of nowhere because here's the thing. Taylor and Joe have now been together for five years. They're in love. They're a beautiful couple. They have been rumored to be engaged for years. They were rumored that when, she like secretly got married, right? Like yeah. a few months ago. Life and Style is saying that they do have multiple exclusive sources. I'm sure they think they do. <laughs> right. But they're coming out of it and saying, which I think is why other publications are legitimizing the claims, because yeah. it's like you're saying you have sources. And that's like the biggest thing in media publications. Everyone has sources. This when Lover came out, which was her album before Folklore and Evermore, pre-pandemic album, the rumor was that she got engaged and that the music video for the song Lover was going to be her wedding video. It wasn't. There are sources who will say anything about Taylor Swift. Yeah. So until I see a ring posted on Taylor Swift's Instagram, they're not engaged to me. Yeah. However, I do think it's interesting timing because it broke the same day as Jake Gyllenhaal finally making a statement about All Too Well, which he should never have done. This is right. a foolish mistake by Jake Gyllenhaal. And you might be thinking, so it's a clickbaity article and it came out, I believe, before this engagement story. So it's possible that this engagement story was like thrown by some friends to bury Jake Gyllenhaal, mm. even if it may or may not be true. But there's a clickbaity article that's like Jake Gyllenhaal says all too well has nothing to do with me. It's her expression. And there's like sporadic quotes through it. So you're like, OK, he probably was like stopped at an event because he's in the new hit movie Ambulance coming out <laughs> by Michael Bay. And so I was like, oh, he was probably stopped on his press tour, said something, got taken out of context. No. This is from an Esquire profile. He decided to finally comment on Taylor Swift, which means he allowed Esquire to both talk to him about this and print it because it's in a profile. Right. So he said he hasn't listened to the album, but this is what he said. Quote, it has nothing to do with me. It's about her relationship with her fans. It is her expression. Artists tap into personal experiences for inspiration, and I don't begrudge anyone that. That's not a bad statement. That's pretty fine. Pretty low stakes. And then he goes on. Quote, at some point, I think it's important when supporters get unruly that we feel a responsibility to have them be civil and not allow for cyberbullying, cyberbullying in one's name. That begs for a deeper philosophical question, and not about any individual per se, but a conversation that allows us to examine how we can or should even take responsibility for what we put into the world, our contributions into the world. How do we provoke that conversation? My question is, is this our future? Is anger and divisiveness our future? Or can we be empowered and empower others while simultaneously putting empathy and civility into the dominant conversation? That's the discussion we should be having. So he said, please stop making fun of me. Yeah, I was like, fuck off. But to be honest, I think he probably does get some really fucked up, weird death threats. Like Taylor Swift does have some very unhinged fans. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I'm not saying like either of them really have a true responsibility to put them in line, but I do think as a society, we need to have a conversation about what's appropriate. Well, but as a society, we kind of need to have the like the thing is he's 
I think he never should have made a statement personally. But the thing yeah. is, is like, I get that he doesn't want to have death threats. That's fine. Right. But he can't ask for no death threats for something and not comment on actually any of the actual accusations. Right. Because I get it. When a 14 year old tells you to kill yourself, that's annoying. But you can't like not then comment on the heart of the problem, which is that you were dating a girl much younger and manipulated her. Like you have to take some accountability right. if you want to be completely absolved of any ire. Right. That's the conversation that I think the journalists need to be asking. Yeah. Because I don't give a shit what his feelings are about Taylor Swift's music. But like you said, dating a much younger woman and then not really showing any responsibility mm-hmm. for that relationship. But I'm sure he would justify it now because his new girlfriend is 26 and he's, what is he, 42? 42 and 26. So like in his mind, that's the age woman he prefers. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's the thing. It's obviously he doesn't see anything wrong with what he did. I don't ask him to see that. But you know that the things that are that you're being criticized for, no matter what the manifestation of those critics Sisms is because the manifestation of them is often goofy and a little annoying. If you're not willing to address those criticisms, then you can't ask that you stop being addressed. But I feel like no one is throwing that in his face. Like they're all like, oh, you broke Taylor Swift's heart. No one is like, dude, you dated a child. There are some more highbrow, more intellectuals talking about that. Mm -hmm. But I think as a mass within the fanhood, people are not talking about how fucked that is. Well, because he's famous enough that any of his fans yeah. don't actually have to critically engage. Yeah. And any Taylor Swift fans who do critically engage are like, well, they're women. Yeah, they're just emotional, just like she was. I was going to say, it's interesting, the irony of him being like, we should examine like what we're saying to people and like the vibes we're putting into the world when it's like, okay, like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but that's like no self-examination of like how you treated this girl. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'm not saying that like he deserves to get death threats or whatever, but it's kind of like the idea of like you reap what you sow. And it's kind of like, well, maybe like you put some bad vibes out into the universe when you fucked over Taylor Swift and like we're dating someone was dating someone who was so, so young. And that's what the journalist should have followed up with. Well, it's his Esquire profile. The journal. This is not hardcore journalism. Yeah. Esquire's yeah, for yeah, dudes. Yeah. Which is why it, at the end of the day, it's all clickbait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not for nothing, but Jake Gyllenhaal dated Taylor Swift at a time when she was already known for writing songs about people who do her wrong. Yeah. You did her wrong. Yeah. You literally signed up for it. Yeah. You yeah. literally volunteered. Yeah. And he probably, he probably gets off on it. Like he's like, oh, I'm not going to comment on it. And then like he has this probably shrine in his closet. Like, thank you, Taylor Swift, for keeping me relevant. He watches the all too well, the movie every night. So let's move on to our main segment of the week. We are going to be talking about in honor of the new Netflix show, Inventing Anna. We're talking about Anna Delvey, who is the same level of girl boss as Elizabeth Holmes. I was going to say, I feel like this is actually someone, Grace, that you'll you'll like respect. I feel like we're going to get to the end of this and be like, you're going to be like, yeah, those people were idiots for believing her. Look, I don't know a ton about Anna Delvey. Um, I'm coming in kind of blind. I do. I've I've been reading so much. Yeah, both Bridget and Courtney are much more educated than I am. However, I already know that she's my idol. If you can trick someone into thinking you're so like you're a socialite. Yeah, I know. I was I was reading this article last night and at the end I was like getting ready for bed and I was like, this woman is who Grace aspires to be. 
like not in jail, but like just being like, oh, wow. Like all these people believe this thing about me and yeah, they're everything dumb. except the jail part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you if you're listening, you don't know what the hell we're talking about. Anna Delvey is Anna Sorkin, who moved to New York City, tricked a bunch of rich people into thinking she was a German heiress, skipped out on a bunch of hotel bills which is really what got her in the hot water, but, but like also hung out with some of the most elite people with somehow got to Warren Buffett's birthday on a private jet, which again, she did not put the bill for the jet. No. And people wrote it off as like, well, you know how rich people are. They're just like, they forget to pay for things They're exactly just with money. So she got pretty far into the scam until, um, till a, a very petty woman who footed some of her bills, got upset and really was the one who got her in to court. So like she could have she could have gone for years had she not pissed off one upper middle class woman. Well, yeah, this is a tricky that's what's tricky about this, whereas like Elizabeth Holmes just had to trick a bunch of old white men. Hmm. That's Kate. And she's a young Anna Delvey's tricking other young hot women. That's but harder. She is. And she's also not putting anyone's health at risk, whereas yes. um, Holmes was making all these promises. Yeah. To people with blood disorders. Yes. <laughs> but Anna Delvey's just like, I just want to go on a plane. I just want to pay for art, bitch. It's interesting because there are definitely parallels. Again, I think what Anna did is lower stakes, ultimately, because um, in the cut article about this, she uh, is trying to develop. She keeps telling people that she's like the reason she's staying at this like fancy hotel in Soho for like not I guess not for free, but the reason she's such a long term guest is because she's doing work like she's going to purchase property from the owner of the hotel. And so she's kind of like a guest of honor and she's going to purchase this property to create the Anna Delvey Foundation, which is really funny. And I don't even I never really got a full grasp of what exactly this foundation was supposed to be like an art. Thing. It's kind of like the Soho house, right? Into a Soho yes. house. Yes. And so it's kind of like a social club, but there's also like a higher and more exclusive part to it. And then she was also going to use it for like, well, no, I guess it's a lot like Soho house where Soho house is. Like, oh, we're for creative social club. Also, why, 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 why the name Anna Delvey Foundation if it's a social club? Well, all these social clubs have terrible names, first off. <laughs> sounds fancy. But Soho House sounds cool. Soho House was taken. Well, I think part of it was so Delvey is not her real last name, right? It's Sorkin. And right. she told everyone Delvey was her last name that was a family name, although her family has been like, there are no Delveys in our family. So it was just part of this illusion that like, oh, Anna Delvey, that sounds like a very prestigious person. So then why not just add foundation to the end of that if it's already by opening doors for you? Right, right, right. It helps create a brand to have your name and everything. Yes. It just sounds like foundation. It's like she's helping kids with cancer, not like creating a social club for rich white people. I think that's on purpose. And there are foundations like this that already exists, like the Annenberg Foundation. Sure, they have like social programs for communities, but I think the Annenberg Foundation also has some upper tier, upper class people stuff. Well, basically, here's the other thing to hmm. tell you what I know from the world of fundraising. Creating a foundation 
gives you some tax benefits. Yes, yes. That you don't get if it's just oh, in your name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So I think she was probably chasing mm-hmm. those tax benefits. Granted, she has no money. So I don't know what tax benefits she's getting. Right, which makes but- me think she had to be mentored this whole time. And whoever mentored her, she has never revealed. And his, no one's ever really have a clear cut name. There's some gesturing towards it in both the cut article Mm -hmm. and in the tv show but i think it's even larger than than anyone really knows okay because i was gonna say like so i just recently watched the tinder swindler as like many people did yeah i was definitely gonna bring up the tinder swindler and all of this i was gonna say it's like a very similar like having money come in from someone else and spending it on another person but you never actually having the money but just like using all the people yeah, it's like a ponzi scheme the illusion of money exactly and it's interesting because that guy was like what in his like 30s maybe not saying he was he was such a piece of shit um and not saying he's like smart or that like age makes you smarter but i was like shocked to read that she was 25 and i was like how did she know i don't know what a ponzi scheme is i wouldn't even think to be like I'm going to run up this $30,000 hotel bill and I'm going to get the money from this. Well, person. I think it's because she started out as like a fashion intern. She mm. just saw how rich people behaved. And I'm sure she saw rich people who never paid for anything. And she she spent like um, when they did like a deep dive into her. What was she like in Germany life? She was kind of a mean girl <laughs> and oh. she was obsessed with fashion magazines. I mean, we've all read a fashion magazine. Not only does fashion magazines are like, here's Burberry's newest collection. It's also like um, there's social articles and art articles. They're like, here's what's going on in culture. So she could also talk about things like one of the examples they did was like a Sherman, a Cindy Sherman picture in the TV show. And it was just kind of like saying she already has the vocabulary from like years of reading these magazines that she understands art on a very like fundamental level. So she can walk into a gallery, look at a piece and say like, oh, I'm seeing this and that. And people are like, oh, wow, you have a really great eye. And it's like, she just read some fucking Vogue articles. (laughs) Well, it's the same as, I mean, this is where her genius coincides with Elizabeth Holmes. If you have like enough catchy things to say, you're set. I mean, that's what the Tinder swindler did Mm -hmm. too. He just used love. But (laughs) the thing (laughs) about- him that was so and one would say what he said was not super catchy my enemies well my like i mean i guess in theory my enemies is catchy but it was very well, but what's catchy is that he got them to fall in love with him first so it didn't matter what he said yes exactly unfortunately he was cute because i was reading about the tinder swindler about why he wasn't in jail and the reason he's not in jail yes. is because there's no legal track record of him doing anything illegal because basically mm-hmm. people sent credit cards in their name and voluntarily authorized the charges it's, it's really smart in a really fucked up way. Anna Delvey was very similar in that it was really hard to charge her for any sort of crime. In fact, I don't, according to the TV show, but I think it probably was true. The DA didn't really give a shit about her. Mm-hmm. Like she was running up these mm-hmm. bills at hotels, but that's like the hotel's responsibility to procure payment. And if they didn't get a card, that's kind of like their problem. The reason mm-hmm. Anna Delvey got taken down was because this little bitch... Rachel Williams, who I could talk shit about all day, she proactively did like her own civilian detective work to make sure Anna Delvey got charged and she could take her to court over these credit card bills. How did she do that? How did she get her caught? 
Yeah. 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 Like what, what are the details behind that? Okay. So she tried to file a police report and the police were like, are you fucking kidding me? You foot the bill in Morocco for your friend. You voluntarily use your credit card to pay the bill. And you want us to go find her to pay you back for something you volunteered to pay for. Okay, to be fair, that does sound pretty petty. Okay, got it. I mean, like, I mean, I don't think it's petty because I would do that. But I, but I understand I the bill. why, like, legally that sounds ridiculous. Yes. Okay, got it. I think she probably is a super obnoxious person, not only because the show portrayed her that way, but then I went down a hole of like, is this woman really this obnoxious? And she wrote a whole Vanity Fair article about her experience and a book called My Friend Anna. This woman is petty. So how did she get Anna caught? Anna came out to L.A. There's like discrepancies. And if you're listening to the TV show, I'd say skip five seconds from now. OD'd to sort of extend her visa because it can't send you back if you um, are, are going through. Yeah, if you're in the hospital, if you're going through a program like rehab. Oh my God. Oh my God. OK, so there's speculation that she OD'd on purpose, but she OD'd in L.A. She is still in touch with Rachel because she doesn't seem to be aware that Rachel is like super mad at her. And so she's talking to Rachel or maybe she's talking to Rachel. The other motivation I thought is that she's talking to Rachel to like keep her out of her tree, you know, like, Oh, it's okay. The money's coming. The money's coming. And so she talks to Rachel on the phone. Rachel says she's in LA. So she convinced the DA to put a warrant out for her. But of course the warrant doesn't do anything unless you got like a parking violation or like, you know, one of those things where it's like, if they catch her on something else, yes. they'll arrest her. But that's what happened to the Tinder swindlers. He got arrested for having a fake passport, not for the financial. Mm-hmm. Right. So like since there's mm-hmm. a warrant out for her arrest, then all Rachel had to do was call the cops saying like, yeah, she's at this rehab facility. So she exited the rehab facility. The cops arrested her and said there's a warrant out for your arrest. But the only reason they knew that was because she called the LAPD. and was like, hey, there's a woman staying at this rehab center who's actually has a warrant out in New York. But what was the warrant yeah, I'm so for? confused because didn't you say the cops didn't give a shit about the theft? So why did she didn't give a, a shit? So she had to do, I think, a civil suit. And so that's why there was a warrant probably to subpoena her to court. So like when she filed the the civil suit, which I'm guessing it had to be. a Well, I think it turned into then the DA got involved and it turned into like a huge, bigger misdemeanor. Do you know but, why the DA ended up getting involved after previously being like, no, thank because you? Because Rachel harassed her. <laughs> because Rachel harassed the DA. Th- th- that's oh. kind of how the show explains it. But I'm like, huh. I think that's probably pretty accurate to what would because happen. Because if, if Rachel paid everything voluntarily, I'm confused why Anna had to go to court at all. Because she's trying to spin it that she paid with the caveat that she was going to get paid back and she hadn't gotten paid back. So it's a little right. like flaky where it's like, Okay, but you did. But yeah, did you get paperwork? I mean, look, I get it that that's true, that Anna did do this, but it kind of feels like, again, it's the Elizabeth Holmes thing all over again. If you're stupid enough to pay $70,000 with the expectation you're going to get paid back, you deserve to be out $70,000. Right. That's what I just don't understand is like, do all these people, are they all just like rich as fuck? And they're like, oh, this is no big deal. Or are they just dumb? She also got Vanity Fair involved because one of the credit cards that was charged throughout this was her work credit card. So like Vanity Fair was also behind her in like, yeah, not only did 
she just fuck her over, but you fucked us over. Okay, as once a corporation. you get a company involved, once you yeah. get Condé That's Nasty actually, involved, I forgot about I forgot about that element. Yes, because she did have to use her work expense. That makes more to sense. Cover whatever it was to get them like out of the hotel or whatever it was that they were doing. In well, Morocco. and I think Morocco just charged the card because it was on file because I think she thought because they were gonna, she was getting away without paying it. She thought Anna was going to pay it. And Anna was like, well, you have right. a card. Just charge that. Well, because what happened was that they were in Morocco. They were on this like luxurious trip. So the person that is like interviewed primarily in the cut is the concierge of the first hotel. Yes. That Neff. Anna Delvey was scamming. Neff. Yes. And she was talking about how she was invited on this Morocco trip, ended up not being able to go because she couldn't get like nine days yeah. off of work or whatever, but she just watched it from afar. But while they were in Morocco, the same thing happened. Like the hotel, they weren't paying the bill at the hotel. She wouldn't, she would always get away with not giving them a credit card saying, I'll have a wire transfer sent to you. And they were all like, okay. And maybe like with really rich people or like really with like international travel, that's, that's like more and that's of what a they common kept thing. Leaning on was, yeah. well, it's international. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, but then Morocco, like the hotel, when they were like, hey, we don't have your credit card or like her credit card bounced or something, literally like the Moroccan police were coming to arrest yeah. her and like detain her. So it was like it was a lot more of like a higher stakes situation mm -hmm. there. So that is why Rachel ended up using her work credit card to get them to just not be. Arrested, well, yeah. So Rachel thought she like, yeah. I just want to be clear. Anna did not probably give a shit if she was going to get arrested. Yeah. It was clear that Rachel was very scared of being in Morocco and Morocco is technically like it was a, it was colonized forever. So it is kind of like a developing nation. I don't know what the mm -hmm. right terminology we're supposed to use for those places are. So it's developing. So like with banking in Morocco in general, it's already super shady and super difficult like that's already a problem in Morocco so then on top of that you have this woman who's not paying so that Rachel as a white woman is like I gotta get the fuck out of here and just take care of me and myself so she left yeah. even early genius of Anna thinking that she was like then she gave them the card to hold for like it was like you're just holding this card right you're not going to charge it so i think she was kind of aware right. they were going to charge you do it do at that all. for like damages or if you don't end up paying yeah. or whatever yeah which again okay, that sucks dumb <laughs> that's like if you sign up for a free trial and they ask for a credit card also why would you go on a trip this is what really i think most poor people are aggravated with and is that and i mean that from being a poor person is that why would you go on a trip without considering what if what if something was wrong or you've been out with Anna before and have seen like her card bounce before and she's made you foot the bill before. So like, why would you think this trip was going to somehow be different? Then at that point, you deserve to lose the money. Yes. And she I agree, went out I with this girl who constantly made you pay for her food and then her credit card would bounce and she would send mysterious wire transfers. And then you're surprised when your right. card got charged. Another thing Anna would do was pay everyone back in cash yeah. or just like pay for everything in cash. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, the concierge talks about this dinner that they went to where it was like $280 or something and Anna's credit card bounced. And then she gave like, literally she had like a notebook of all these credit card numbers, like written down and like gave it to the waiter to go like try all of them. And then none of them worked. So then she came back and the concierge was like, okay, I will. She like had to transfer money from her savings to her checking, which, oh, relatable. There, girl. I've done that so many times to pay for the dinner. She was like, oh, I know this is going to fall on me. 
So she paid for it. And to be fair, $280 is way different than like $70,000. But then the next day or a couple of days later, Anna ended up paying her back in cash, like $600. So like, perhaps like these women were just like, had like witnessed her do this, but like also knew she was kind of good for the cash. Like well, she, that was the vibe. She, she kept gave. falling back on this. My father is one who gives me the money. And he, if like, she would say a lot like, oh, my dad's mad at me. So that's why I don't have the money right yeah. now. And so like people were like, oh, yeah, that totally sounds like some rich dad bullshit. Yeah, it totally sounds like something an heiress would say. Mm -hmm. And then when she would get the cash, what she was actually doing is just transferring money around, basically writing like shitty checks to a bank before the bank could catch. That's a bad check. Sherry has that money deposited in another bank, Mm. which is why she was able to pay for the hotel, the one hotel the one time she was in a hotel for a long term, which was like that 11 Howard, she was able to yeah. pay for that because she had jimmied the money around. But of course, a couple of weeks after she had left or months after she had left, the hotel gets called like, yeah, we're going to actually need some of this money back from you because this was never legitimate money to begin with. And this is where Anna Delvey shot herself in the foot is putting her own legal banking involved that's where they get you on the larceny charges and everything when you fuck with a bank yeah bank or vanity fair yeah don't fuck with chase bank don't fuck with vanity fair and you won't get arrested she probably could have gotten away i think she could have even gotten longer away with the banks Mm -hmm. because it wasn't like i mean i don't think she had reached she probably was close to the millions but i don't i think it wasn't like banks don't care until you're dealing with like millions of dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're in a small town and the bank has like nothing to do except for <laughs> troll their patrons. But in terms of like Citibank right. or much larger banks, you're going to have to be moving large quantities of money specifically with them before they really like notice and catch that. And she probably had a number of bank accounts. Like she probably wasn't doing everything through Bank of America. And all the bank accounts she was getting is because she's convinced like even bankers and lawyers like, hey, this is my story. This is who I am. And they they see a woman wearing designer clothes and they're like, yeah, okay, this seems to check out. How else would she be wearing Prada? And a lot of that she actually got initially from she was staying with this expensive this woman who was like, very, very, very rich. And she's like one of those sort of socialite women who like basically has her own foundation, which Mm -hmm. where she's giving money to young artists and young people with ideas for technology. So Anna Uh was staying with her through a boyfriend. And a lot of times she would be like given the credit card to go pick up the food or close out the account at Barney's, you know, like pick out a couple of shirts for your boyfriend and then close out the account. And she's like, no one is paying attention to what I'm doing. And she's seeing how much they're paying for these clothes. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, fuck right. it. Let's throw on some purses and some scarves and some whatever. Cause you yeah. don't Who will seem know? to notice or give a shit. Oh yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I will say part of um, what the concierge in the cut article was saying was that like, there was a lot of, well, I guess she, and then also just the article in general was talking about a lot of like the mentality around Anna was like, Oh, like for instance, one of her friends paid like $3,000 for him and Anna to go to Venice, like Italy for like some event. And she never paid him back. 
And he was kind of like, it was one of those things where I guess for him, it wasn't a lot of money either. So he was like, oh, like, I'll just let it go eventually. Like he'd forgotten about it or not really, you know, it wasn't in the forefront of his mind. Whereas I would be Venmo reminding her constantly like, hey, $3,000. But he was just kind of like, you know how rich people kind of like lose track of like the money that they have. And Mm -hmm. like, maybe it was just an oversight because it was like such a little. Which shows how much money this guy has, like. I could forget about $3,000. Like what? I was thinking fuck? about that. Too. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, that's probably what she was counting on is she's like, these people aren't going to be meticulous enough with their finances that they will notice $3,000 here or there. Whereas if right. Spotify takes out an extra $10, my whole world shatters. Oh yeah. I just want to squeeze, squeeze in really quick. Okay. Two things. First, my favorite line from the show and why I feel like everybody should watch the show. And you recommend the show? I recommend it. It is very soapy and very Shonda Rhimes. So there are going to be things that you're going to be like, what the fuck? This is so bad. But promise you. And her accent is horrible. Yes, but it's fun. And it is horrible. But if you listen to Anna talk, it is a pretty bad accent because she was raised in Russia and then spent her late teens in Germany. So she does have a fucked accent. So then coming to America, it's like it's a weird Mix of all. Okay. But the, my favorite line is her face was basic peasant face, which is how, you know, she was legitimately wealthy. No one who looked like that could get away with being poor. Not in our world. Oh my God. That was like, I'm in, I am here for the show. I'm on board. That is fucked up. I did see in the cut. They, someone described her as Froilin, like a, like a marmish German yeah. woman. And I was just like, uh, uh. They're so mean. So Bridget, you said that you think that there was like a mastermind who was kind of mentoring her. Who that is that like a legit theory? Like, is that something people are positing? I don't think it was one person, but I do think she had a lot of help from people like Billy McFarlane, who was a co-founder of the Fire Festival, which is also how she met Julia Fox. Oh, while hanging out with all these rich people in like taking their money and fucking them over. I think she's also spending a good amount of time with other grifters, other people who are in this mm. peripheral, like with rich people, there's this peripheral world of no one really has money, but they're trying to grift you. And mm-hmm. if your grift is right, you invent something like Uber. But if your grift is wrong, you crash mm. like we work, you know, like pay off all the time. Exactly. Uh, and so yeah. like, that's a huge, another reason why I'm like on team Anna is like, that is how capitalism works. It's like you're pitching a grift until it sticks. And so she she figured out something that takes a lot of us till we're middle aged to figure out. Make capitalism right. work for you. Exactly. And the Julia Fox thing, I got to mention that because that is the best. Like people are in awe of Julia Fox's like weird social climb right now. Julia Fox, Kanye's famous one month girlfriend for listeners who may not be plugged in. I'm I'm loving that they're together. They're actually planning on doing a project together. That's no one knows what the project is. It's kind of hush hush, but they're working on something together. They've known each other for years now. I'm excited for this new level of celebrity. What's fascinating about Anna Delvey to me is she's very nonchalant about all of this, as she should be, because she's the hero of the story. But what's really interesting to me is that Netflix only paid like $320,000 for her life rights because it paid her restitution fee. Well, and they said she was a consultant. It kind of makes me think that 
there's probably some weird gray area of her profiting off the Netflix thing. Like if it was more than that, because she is being detained and part of her detainment right now with ICE is that the judge in her last appeal to at least not be held in the detention center. The judge was like, well, I don't think you have, cause she got out early. She was supposed to serve 12 years. She served, I think four. about four. Yeah. And the reason ice is holding her and what the judge is saying is that she doesn't think she actually atoned for her crimes. Well, I was going to say, we haven't talked about, that's like a big thing that I've been hearing is that she like, while she's in Rikers Island and um, just in general, she's very like, why would I apologize? Like, she's just very like, she's like, it is what it is, but she's not wrong. Yeah. Like yeah. we, none of the bankers, very little of the bankers served any time in 2008 and they mm-hmm. fucked our whole yeah. economy. This girl fucks over one piece of shit who works at Vanity Fair. And now we're going to use her face as like, why you don't commit banking crimes? Fuck off. That's a good point. And also her other point too was basically she was arrested. She was let out of prison. And then like six weeks later, they put her in ICE detention for not having her visa. And she was like, the system's stupid because they already had me. Why did they let me go and then arrest me again? And she's right. Yeah, that's not that's not a bad point, actually. And the only reason her visa was fucked was because they took her to court. I mean, she was already over her visa, right? But she had this little plan of being in rehab. And so she was thinking it out. And then this whole court situation happens. And then the whole thing is just like on fire, whatever her status is in America. That's why everybody has to watch this show. So like ultimately she's going to come out on top. I hope so, but maybe not. As we've seen time and time again for any kind of issue, our justice system is super fucked. That's true. And also like in these weird high profile, like financial things like her and Elizabeth Holmes, they really love making the example, the women yeah, and not like the men who well, not like, not like the men who believe them or whatever, but like men who do the same thing every day, Billy McFarland, what's he doing to sum it up, Anna Delvey, girl boss queen. So that's our show for the week. I hope you all learned a little something or are inspired to defraud your friends. Bridget, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bridget underscore suck it. Courtney, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at C underscore doisy and on Twitter at the real doisy. Grace, where can everyone find you? You can find me at the Grace Piper on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And you can find this podcast on Instagram and Twitter at the Glossier. In our bios, you'll find a link to a bunch of different things, but primarily a submission form if you have something you want us to talk about, and also opportunities to give us five stars rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which you should definitely be doing if you are a listener of this podcast. And if you want to show further support or get a shout out like we did at the top of the episode, join our Patreon, patreon.com slash thegossier. This is really awkward, you guys, but I just got um, a hotel bill that I need to pay. It's like 30K. Could either of you help me out? I promise I'm good for the money. Oh, you know what? Um, I didn't hear any of what you just said. I think it cut out. So if you pay for the private plan, I'm good for it. You get me a birthday invite to Warren Buffett's birthday. Is he still alive? I think he is. Yes. I think so. I'd go to his birthday. Well, that's our show. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. Bye.
Bye.